You're listening to the Primary Care PT Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Obright, and we're going to talk all things primary care PT. Stay tuned and subscribe. All right. Hello, 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 everybody. This is another awesome episode of the Primary Care PT series. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Katie Obright, and if you're listening to this now, this is going to be coming out sometime in August or September of 2023. And we have a really special guest um, because by the time you're listening to this, some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about in this episode might already be put into motion, no pun intended. Um, So today we have uh, Dr. Genevieve Correa, who is um, a doctor of physical therapy out uh, out in Hawaii. And she has some interesting things to share about her interest in primary care PT and what she's been up to. So thanks so much for joining us, Genevieve. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm glad we can make this work and wake up. I it know, I know a lot of, so we've actually rescheduled this a few times and the, we were both kind of going through the same thing. Today, I have a million and one things going on and my family is about to leave for a trip and Genevieve is in the middle of her EDD intensives and we find, we both just decided like, let's just do it. We're not going to reschedule. We're just going to do it and it's going to be great. (laughs) So Genevieve, tell us a little bit about your background as a PT and why you're interested in primary care. Okay. So it's what I feel. I'll just start. I'll start the present. Like I, right now I feel like I'm such in this development infancy stage of everything. Um, To say that I'm 11 years out of graduating as a non-traditional physical therapy graduate. Um, I did my, my physical therapy school at University of Pacific. Um, I finished in 2012. Then I switched to Dewey, or then I jumped right into the PNF residency. So I did the nine month PNF residency, which was amazing to get my skill set as like a neuro-based clinician to get my hands, my cues, my philosophy, a lot of the basis of my training which is very holistic. Then I jumped right into the the manual therapy and primary care fellowship at Kaiser Vallejo, um, which is now a merge between Vallejo and and Vacaville. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that. That was 21 months. So after PT school of a 25-month program, I jumped to 30 months of postgraduate training. so I would say that's a big basis of my skill set. I worked at Kaiser for about seven years just to hone in onto my skills. Um, you know, it's like I want to learn more from mom and dad, auntie and uncle, and cousins that have been with the same line of thinking, um, which is about learning tools, um, being in the place where we get to um, learn diagnostics amongst the ER physicians, primary care um, so that's where a lot of the basis of my training came. And then I jumped into wanting to travel and visit with family and friends. So I started to work as a traveling PT, um, which led me to Molokai. Uh, I worked at Molokai General Hospital for a little while. All of this background is helpful to understand how I got more and more passionate about primary care and rural health medicine. Um, I worked at Molokai General Hospital for about seven, I think it was seven months as a traveler, started as three months, extended throughout, and then saw the needs of a community. COVID hit, 
Um, I was adjunct faculty at University of Pacific for seven years. When I decided to move to Hawaii, um, they did offer me to teach diagnostic imaging, which was very new to me, but it was a good dabble in the aspects of one of our clinical sets as physical therapist, but then using that as a as kind of a stepping stone to you to how do I say this to start really integrating primary care, right? I think a lot of um, PT schools use it as you know here are your ABCs. If you look at an image, what is, it, what is this? You know, what does it look like? But do we really use it? You know, that's what I've heard a lot of clinicians, you know, except for um, Gail Dial, who taught our radiograph or diagnostic imaging and really kind of, which he is in the forefront of primary care also um, for primary care physical therapy. So kind of seeing that model of, okay, you see this, when are we really going to use it and how are we going to use it for our people and our community? Um, to fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Um, then uh, when I came to Hawaii, HPU started their own program, a physical therapy program with a hybridized program with evidence in motion, mm -hmm. um, trying to help rural communities um, have access to schooling so that hopefully there's more people from, at least this is my kind of spin on, on the aspect of an evidence in motion and university kind of hybrid program is allowing people that don't have access to the education to get those people to have access to care because we have such a deficit in rural physical therapy, which is also a deficit in primary care, mm -hmm. right? So when you kind of blend all of those together, um, it it creates more. Um, sorry, I'm so casual. My my dog barking me. She, she wants to go inside. Oh, that's um, perfectly fine. My dog's yeah. laying right behind me. So, <laughs> um, so it kind of like, you know, it's like talk about seeing where the world brings you, and you know how I got accepted into these rigorous programs and these these infancy stages of. Um, academic programs and to see the needs of a community. And so now I actually have my own clinic um, on Molokai, which is um, because of my training, I naturally am like, yeah, let's triage that. Let's help you find the language so that you can talk to your doctor and how can we get you there sooner? Or on Molokai, we've lost four providers to full-time from August 2022 to February 2023. Two full-time physicians because of mortality and we lost two part-time private physicians, nurse practitioner or primary care providers um, to retirement. Mm -hmm. It's a population of about seven to 8,000. Um, some people will question the census just because um, how do you create census in a rural community? Um, so my clinic more, even more so was like, okay, if you don't have a referral and you need help, let me help you triage. I don't know if I'm getting reimbursement for insurance, but there's a reality that 
that these people, which I see as my family, um, couldn't necessarily get the care that they needed um, in such a short period of time. Because after talking to even um, some clinic managers, you know, me trying to learn the aspect of primary care for a physician, it's like, how many people are on your panel? You know, how many people as a primary care do you see? Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, they said that in, in the new age of physicians, it's anywhere from 500, five to 700 um, in other places where it's a, maybe a little bit more intense. Maybe it's a thousand, maybe it's 3000, you know, right? <laughs> Crazy. Right. Yeah. So even me, me learning the, these mm-hmm. numbers and then so to, for me to have a referral base, me, I think it was in, um, after Dr. Alili had passed away on November, in no, end of November, I looked at how many patients have I seen because it was when he passed away, I was pretty much the only provider providing care at my clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to pause. I'm going to pause you because I think that okay. a lot of our listeners are, which myself included are not even familiar with exactly where you're talking about. So oh. I actually just had to pull yeah. it up on my Google maps and be, I've never been to Hawaii. I know that there's Hawaii and I know that there's like other islands. So yeah. I looked it up on Google maps and Molokai, which is where, what uh, Dr. Genevieve is talking about is another one of the Hawaiian islands. And just to clarify that seven to 8,000 population is the population of the Island of Molokai. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is when you, when you moved back to, are you from Molokai? No. So I was actually a military brat. So okay. I moved around a lot, born in South Carolina, Northern, lived in Northern California, graduated high school, Okinawa, Japan. Dodgers, okay. Dodgers. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So this happened to be, you got a travel assignment in Molokai and then decided to kind of set up shop there pretty much. Is that right? I wouldn't say settle, set up shop. It, it, some, something kind of drew me to call. I, I actually was planning on working at the hospital and I love the integration with the hospital, you know, the access to acute care, the resources. Um, but I think because of how I was raised, I, I wanted, I wanted to serve the community in a different aspect, in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that um, more so because it hit home. Like, you know, I'm learning more of the facts. Um, being in the ED program and that this ED program is specifically for Hawaii and their big intention is social justice initiatives. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to learn the stats of Hawaii and seeing kind of the discrepancies of educators, healthcare providers, the percentages of, of, of the people that are serving the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, um, okay. So in the, in the hospital system that you were a part of, or in the clinic that you were a part of, you mm-hmm. said there were four providers. So two physicians, which recently passed and then two who, who retired and they're all, I'm assuming primary care, general practice, like family medicine. Okay. And then yeah. are you an integrated, where do you fall into this, this clinical practice? Is it, is it a hospital is with that offers a variety of inpatient and outpatient services. Are you co-located? Can you just describe what the setup even looks like? Yeah. So 
uh, for one, the four providers were all different entities. One was at the was at the main hospital. One had his own practice for about 47 years. Um, the other two also were small private practice clinics. Um, for my clinic, it's set up more, I created more based on what was not being serviced necessarily in the community. Like at the time they weren't doing women's health. Okay. Right. Um, because there was such a limitation um, of their services because the hospital staff two to three, and there is another part-time private physical therapist on Island as well. Um, and she, she's been there for about 20 years. Um, but I just tried to fill in the holes of like, okay, you're not doing women's health. Okay. There isn't necessarily pediatrics. Okay. So what they would do, they would actually refer out. So like people on Island, if it was something they weren't comfortable with as a physical therapist, they would say, okay, you need to fly off Island for this. You're going service. to another Island to get care. Yeah. Oh my yes. gosh. Well, right. Yeah. So like, so then, so there was that aspect. And then when, when there was a huge number, so it's like, they also do wound care. So for the physical therapist in Hawaii can do wound care, um, where like, you know, there's just a certain legalities, just like we talk about dry needle, but physical therapists are one that can offer that service. And so, um, I was like, you know, I won't do wound care. I won't do, cause they have a pool that I won't do pool therapy for when I don't, I don't want to buy a pool. Right. Like mm -hmm. it's just, you know, and even in the, in the economical aspect of like wound care, it's like, for me, it's like, usually you're getting referred and not really doing the differential in that sense. Mm -hmm. You're eating with it. You are. Cause every you're doing, time you're, you're doing like it. wound care debridement, but it's usually by referral from another healthcare professional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think for myself, it's not, um, I just didn't have enough experience in that yeah. where Brie, Brie, she does an amazing job and she's been doing it for so long that for her, it is almost a form of primary care, which is amazing. And I'm like, why learn something that someone's already great at? Yeah, for sure. Right? Especially so when they're, you're living in, in such a rural place with, uh, uh, a population of individuals that don't have very good access um, especially to hands-on services, like you're discussing. Um, <clears throat> I think that, well, well, first of all, it's, it, it, it all comes down to how it, it, in primary care, in primary care, we talk about everybody has different, I'm, I'm going in circles right now. Cause I have so much that I want to say, so I'm going to back. <laughs> I know we just might, we might have to have a part two. <laughs> I know seriously. So in, in primary care, a lot of what we do is we, we, we screen, we triage, we assess risk, we assess risk so that individuals can help to reduce risk on their own, or that we can get them to the correct provider, or that we can provide education or care directly to them. Now that's not limited to a specific specialty. So in primary care, we should, we should really have all of the fundamental knowledge that we garnered from our DPT education and basically just be able to leverage it. And if we don't have specific expertise, because we, I, I was just reviewing this yesterday, actually, we have professional scope, which is kind of like what's covered in our 
professions, like APTA guide to professional practice. Anything that's listed in there is considered a part of professional physical therapist practice. Then we have jurisdictional scope, which is like, okay, well, in some States you can't dry needles still. Um, that's part of jurisdictional scope. So there are certain limitations or certain expansions based on the jurisdiction that you live in. And then there's personal scope and personal scope is basically what you, what you feel most comfortable with. We should be able to evaluate and assess anything that comes into the door and be able to direct them like, Hey, this isn't a PT problem at all. This is your heart. Like let's, let's, yeah take what the problem that you're coming in with and make sure you get to the most appropriate provider. And we, we help facilitate that. So, um, and, and then like for things like women's health and pediatrics and basic neurologic needs or wound care, you might be able to cover some of those things, but you're not going to be able to cover all of them. Um, you might be able to, well, some people might be able to cover all of them, but like wound care, for example, I've never done it my entire career. I think that we did that thing in PT school where you sort of like debride the orange. And I probably, I don't know anything about anything about wound care. So that is something that like as a primary care physical therapist, if I saw a wound, I would be like, Hey, I have my buddy on speed dial. You can go over and see him for wound care, but I'm happy to, you know, be your primary consultant consulted for any other like functional needs that you have. Um, so it comes down to like when, when the, when the primary care SIG was bringing forward the, uh, which pr probably some people, and I don't know if you even know this, but the primary care special interest group has a primary care specialization. It's underway. We're in our supplemental surveys and fingers crossed. It'll go to house of delegates and get passed in 2024. Um, but this, was presented in 2017 and it looked and smelled and felt like ortho. That's it. It was, it was literally ortho differential diagnosis and screening. Like, okay, we already have a clinical specialization for that. Primary care covers everything and all ages and stages. And, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be experts in every single aspect of that. It means that we do our best to screen and, and take a look at what's in our community and the population that we serve and make sure that we are, that we do have the, the professional and the personal scope to be able to meet the needs of those individuals, which is exactly what you did. Hey, in Molokai, nobody's doing women's health. Nobody's doing peds. Like, let's make sure that those needs are addressed so that this population of individuals has good access to care if, and when, and why they need it. I love that. It's, it's, it's humbling in a sense. And to, like I said, that's where it's like, I have so much experience, but I feel like it's, uh, well, I am a student, I'm in the edu program, but like, but I'm so early in the stages as a business owner, you know, um, I mean, now I have two and a half providers with massage therapists at my clinic. I'm able to be on a waffle on a completely different island for you know, a duration of time, you know, just to be able to do that. And then now, even as a primary care mentor, because I have a new grad in my clinic, and to be able to analyze his notes and see, see, you know, sorry, Gary, to put you on the spot, because obviously you're here. But anyways, um, you know, like reviewing a note that someone came in for a fracture, and I looked at the medical, you know, I looked at the subjective of his, of his note, 
And then I looked at the medical history and they came in for a fracture, but then I saw they had anemia, they had um, dizzy spells. And it's like, where in your questioning as this note shows that you ask those questions mm-hmm. and, you know, and address, we, yeah address yeah, those can, aspects of of fall risk and yes. fall, yeah <laughs> right yeah. so it's like it's like like how did you not consider that or there was another case that I remember having that somebody had a history of cervical myelopathy I think this was a couple years ago in one of the travel clinics mm-hmm. and um and I I acquired one of the patients and I was like okay, so this person had a history of myelopathy Mm -hmm. and now they're actually having, they're coming in because they're fall risk and they're having imbalances. Like, did you, there's no documentation of a Hoffman or a Babinski and reflexes and Romberg, you know, but- Like, is there myelopathy progressing? Which technically it does. (laughs) Yes, right. So there's like, like how, like, what are we, what do we not teach if that's our fundamental practice, which- puts me in this conflict even to really like you said I I like that there's a SIG or a like specialty group for primary care because I think there are metrics that need to be pushed forward or testing or credentialing or certification to allow people to be in this position because Mm -hmm. it's like how are we fighting like seeing how many new grads that come out that don't grasp that idea yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. yeah, it is tricky. And so I can, I, I really think it depends on the student and it depends on the program. We know we, you know, CAPTI yeah. has their accreditation standards. Good job, CAPTI. Thank you. That is minimum criteria for what we need to, or in order to, uh, have, have good curriculum for entry-level DBT education. We, everybody needs a standard. Yeah. That's great. But it's not like you're going to, it's not like CAPTI is going to like be in every single classroom and know exactly, you know, they just, they accredit the program in general. They don't necessarily accredit like individual little things and objectives about, about programs. So you can have a program that perhaps is led and and directed by uh, individuals or groups of individuals who are really old school. And maybe they are really teaching the, the art and the practice of physical therapy as it used to be. You receive a referral. This is what you do for treatment. And they focus on this treatment heavy aspect, even though we, we know that like CAPTI standards, we have to include all of those differential diagnostic um, components in our curriculum and it's covered and it's covered on the national licensure exam and everything. But I think the problem is clinical education. So you, we, we have seen a a significant evolution in our profession from, you know, a certificate to a registration, to a bachelor's, to a a master's, to a doctorate in a relatively short period of time, when we're talking about the way that other professions have evolved. And when you have people who have, who were used to practicing exclusively under a referral and it was treatment heavy and there wasn't differential diagnosis and they weren't doing the frontline decision-making. And then you place a student who's supposed to know all of that stuff and who wants, who's probably very eager to learn all of that stuff. You place them in a, in an environment where they're supposed to learn from each other or the, the, really the CI is supposed to kind of teach and guide the student, but then the CI is kind of 
focusing on treatment and focusing on this is what you do with that. And, and not so much focusing on when you get a patient that has never seen anybody before, or because most of the massive red flags that I've ever seen in my career have been from referrals because yeah. stuff happens. Like yeah. sometimes it takes three weeks for people to get into physical therapy or that, you know, they received a referral a month ago and they just haven't got in and stuff changes overnight. Blood pressure changes overnight. So it's, it's about the modeling that clinical instructors and clinical education sets. And then when students start graduating, they get into clinics that, again, are still kind of practicing in these old school models. So then it's like, okay, what's your clinical reasoning with anything that you're doing? It's, it's almost as if there's no, um, what's the word for it? There's no like a- accountability in that first year or two because practice patterns are kind of all over the place. And, the, you know, this isn't just limited to physical therapy. It's a lot of different professions that are going through yeah. this, like, this wave of, like, old and new. So yeah. have you seen any of that? I Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, that's, that's the struggle, honestly, that I, that I feel and the conflict that it's, like, like, I feel like all of us are in this infancy stage. And how do we you know that for me that's where it's like how I can only not to go on it's like I'm trying to be the change that I want to be right that's why I created the clinic space that I did and why I'm in academics and you know taking the time to get my my ed to start understanding more clinical or like from the from the standpoint of education of our limitations right because education is our model to teach Mm -hmm. right so it's like our specialty is physical therapy. So how are we going to implement these changes mm-hmm. so that On we can better scale. serve, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, I think it's easy for us as even as an organization for APTA, like even being part of these policies, it's hard. Like, and, and I'll be very blunt. Like I haven't, I actually stepped down because I have a lot between the EDD program, yeah, for sure. personal loss, all these different things. But because of the policy, Honestly, I couldn't actually fully step down as delegate. So that's okay. So now, like, part of my positions is kind of like by default. But I love the motions because, you know, I have to give full credit to Dr. Doug White to like a lot of things, and he's he's kind of just tapped in to say, "Hey, can you review this?" And I'm like, "Hey, I'm getting hosed down by by a fire hose. Give me a moment." Yeah. So let's. I complete. First of all. Good on you for knowing when to say no, knowing when yeah. to step down. I've done this recently. Also, I've had a lot of things going on with my family's health. Just again, drinking from a fire hose. That is exactly yeah. the position I've been in. So good on you for knowing when yeah. to do that. That's a sign of of professionalism and maturity. And I, I think that that's important because I think sometimes people set this example that like, you got to say yes to everything or otherwise you're not going to be successful or you're not going to you know, succeed or get things done. And that's not the case. Sometimes the slow game is better. So that's my first point. My second point is, um, let's tell our listeners a little bit about this motion and, and, and how it works. So you're a Hawaii delegate. I am. So I was originally chief, but I stepped down. So I'm, I'm actually serving as a second delegate. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really empowering. Like I, I, like to see what I saw two years ago when I was able to go to the house when Doug was mentoring me to now actually putting in the motion and seeing the importance really of those subtleties of language of, 
of one word to the other, how many mm -hmm. drafts you go through, yeah. you know, throwing, you know, throwing it to different colleagues and like, how did you read this? And how did you take mm -hmm. this? And, and then trying yeah. to meet the deadlines. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, I'm like, Oh, geez. Like, even I'm like, I forgot about that. You know, I told you, I was like, I forgot about this. And then like Doug asked me to get back to something and I haven't, cause I have an assignment due. Yeah. And you know, there's just all these different things, but anyways, you know, we submitted packet we submitted for packet two. So now we're trying to get any other edits and changes uh -huh. because I think we have a virtual meeting coming up in, I think it's in July. Uh -huh. So it's just very. Like, lots of moving pieces. Lots of moving pieces yeah. for a lot of different people. Yeah. So I want to, I want to back up and just explain what the house of delegates even is, because I think a lot of people, and I, I didn't even really have much of an appreciation for it until about two years ago. So the House of Del, the APTA House of Delegates, we're not talking like, um, you know, United States or state level where the APTA has its own House of Delegates. Each APTA state chapter has a certain number of delegates that bring that are responsible for bringing forward motions to represent their state and their constituents on what the needs are in order to advance the physical therapy profession. So as uh, when you get voted in, when you get elected as a delegate, your your team is responsible for for hearing the the voices of the of, of your state's constituents and then bringing forward motions to the APTA in order to set forth advocacy efforts and other motions that can then basically go from the APTA level out into actual public uh you know legislative efforts and other advocacy efforts so in Hawaii this year um, Genevieve and like she had mentioned, her partner, Dr. Doug White, uh, brought forward a motion related to uh, physical therapists as primary care providers and wanted in the, the, the charge to the APTA was to more clearly identify what is the, the role and the competencies and the way forward of the primary care physical therapist. So, and if, correct me if I'm wrong. So go ahead, now that I've explained that so people actually understand what we're talking about here, go ahead and talk about this motion. Yeah, so I think the big premise in it, it just the way you had explained the struggles of the different schools, the different CIs, because we all come from different lines of thinking. Yeah. Is is right now primary care almost comes off very convoluted. Right. Like, <laughs> it does. And that's the struggle. Like even yeah. being, you know, as I'm learning more in the Ed D program in this day almost eight of or day seven of intensives of like you know, there's an ambiguity that has to happen so that we can be flexible for the whole, if that makes sense. Yeah, right? certainly. So, so there's a, there's that question of like, how specific are we so that can we be without pigeonholing us in a yeah. place to do something we either don't want to do, but obviously specific enough so that it really implies what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's like the best way I can explain, like some of the language that we use is like, yeah, my, my mom worked department of events. If I told you what you did, I'd have to get rid of you. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's like, there's nothing really like you, we create this identity with our profession. Mm -hmm. And so like, 
then the question becomes, even with the language as we're kind of going back and forth with the primary care motion is like, how, um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this. Um, how do we, how do we have it serve? Cause it's a blend between primary care, but also the charge for rural health uh -huh. which in a sense go hand in hand. Uh huh. Right, because even in the context of what you share or where compared to where me and Doug practice, right, like we have such limited resources. Do we want to tell someone, can I phone a buddy? I Can I phone a buddy that's to be able to do that? No, they have to either go off island or if they, they have to drive four to five hours. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, like, how can we serve that niche of population and put the right languages? Yeah. For the outside people to see our value yeah and so like i think within our profession it makes sense like you know and other people may know but when we're writing a policy how do we you know when physical therapists aren't even recognized as federal providers yeah and we can't even get the loan reimbursement then we're not even yeah. seen as providers let alone right. primary care providers right so and okay so here's here's my take on this so you're you're wanting this motion, the language in this motion to ensure that it is inclusive of, of anybody in the primary care space. And to yeah. me, the primary care PT space is like an umbrella, right? So if, if you have this big umbrella, primary care is the umbrella, and then you have like subsets of different, different types of populations and different, um, different aspects of care that fall underneath that. And rural health is certainly one of them, but you can certainly practice primary care PT in more of an urban or suburban metropolitan yeah. setting um, or, or area. It's all about uh, access to somebody who has a prime focus on, on population health and multi-systems comprehensive care. Um, just like in orthopedics, you know, you've got ortho, but then you've also got like your foot and ankle specialists and your hip specialists and your running specialists. And, you know, it's all ortho and every running specialist is probably considering um, the other systems, but it just gets more and more niche. -y. So I understand what you're saying in that in drafting this motion, you wanted this language. It's like, we don't want it to be too broad, but we don't want it to be too specific. And I think that Initially starting out, in fact, the most recent draft that I saw of the motion, I thought all of the edits from the original draft were, were exactly, were like spot on and exactly what they should be because the, the first motion was, was more musculoskeletal diagnosis from what I remember. And I could be mixing it up with something else, but it definitely seemed more like direct access musculoskeletal. This most recent one was much more focused on population health and being more expansive in that primary care role to meet the needs of whoever comes in, in your doorway. Like we should have the basic fundamentals of being able to work with somebody who has back pain, but also has COPD and being able yeah. to do those things. And then, and then again, then you bring in your personal scope. Because your personal scope could be like, oh, I have a, a stronger oncology background. I have a stronger orthopedic background. I have a stronger, just like primary care physicians, you know, sometimes their bread and butter, bread and butter is women's health. Sometimes their bread and butter is um, more lifestyle medicine. Sometimes their bread and butter is uh, cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So like yeah. every, it, 
you don't necessarily, just because we're starting with the terms primary care does not mean that everybody underneath that has to be, you know, an expert in everything, but the language yeah. that was, that was the, the way that this, this motion has developed, I think has developed for the better to support the primary care specialization. And I think once we have the primary care specialization and we start showing a, um, a record and a history of primary care specialists working in the, this, these types of settings, that's going to push the ball, the ball forward to bring physical therapists into those that can be recognized as primary care providers under CMS. That's how I see that trajectory going. Yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome to have this dialogue and connect. Like I, I have to thank Steve for connecting with me, me, us together. Yeah. Because it's like, like I said, I'm so busy uh, in in my in my community fighting the fight for what we're trying to do globally for for the people, right? Uh -huh. That's that's really what it is. And so to see all the things that you're doing, we're just like, okay, we're definitely traveling in parallel roads, you know. And so so it's it's very cool, and it's, it's very good for us to stay connected and for us to keep bringing our internal PT primary care community together and find good ways to do that where it's, where it is accessible in our crazy busy lives. So one way you can do that, here's my little plug. One way you can do that is by joining the primary care special interest group. For those of you that are APTA members, um, 25 bucks, join APTA federal, just add it as a section under your profile and um, then you can join our primary care SIG from there. You can also uh, go onto my website, redefinehealthed.com, take a look at some of the courses, and I'm going to have a lot more stuff coming out um, specific to um, what our competencies are. Um, I also have a couple of papers in the works related to what exactly is primary care PT? What are, what are we considering this? What does it look and feel like? What are the differences in different types of settings? Um, and what are the different operating models that you can function on in team-based settings? So lots of stuff coming out over the next year. Um, I know we're kind of running up on time here. So Genevieve, um, how can people find you if they want to reach out, if they want to connect with you? Um, I My clinic does have a website. Um, it's molotypptandrehab.com. I think that's okay. what it is. Um, I do yeah, have I will, a- I'll link that in the show notes. And I see you've got, you've got an Instagram here and- Yeah, yeah. I do have kind of my own professional. I haven't really been sharing or doing much. More motivational, inspirational, but it's g.fitness.dpt. Um, it's my IG. Um, but I've been so busy that I'm like- just working in the dark. <laughs> you know what? Someday. And I honestly, like, I, I say someday you won't be busy, but I get the sense from you based on your background that that's never really going to be the case. And I can relate to that. Um, but you know what? It's good to stay connected anyway. So hopefully we can just keep this conversation going. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you are very busy and have a lot going on, but I think that this conversation that we had will be um, really helpful and really useful to a lot of people. So thanks so much for coming on. I really enjoyed our, our talk. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. So this is a follow-up. Um, I'm coming back at sep September 12th, 2023. 
And this is a follow-up to everything that we had discussed with um, Dr. Genevieve um, a little bit earlier in the summer. At that point, the Hawaii delegation had brought forth this motion um, to for the APTA to more clearly define the practice area of primary care physical therapy. And I just wanted to provide an update because we had mentioned that we were going to do a follow-up episode. Um, and this is really kind of where the update stands. So in July timeframe, July-August timeframe, um, it, when it was brought to, when this motion was brought to the APTA federal delegates, they took a look at it and they were like, well, wait a second, isn't the primary care clinical specialization already doing this, already putting forth the effort to help define the practice area, writing the description of specialty practice, et cetera, et cetera. And it was interesting because as, you know, I knew about this and we even mentioned it in the podcast episode, um, but all of our board members in the primary care special interest group, um, we were more, and I don't want to speak for them. This is really just my interpretation of what, um, of what happened, but all of us were like, oh, well, when the Hawaii delegation brought forth this, um, this motion, we were like, oh, well, this, this only kind of will strengthen our, our position and, you know, where the petition is with the ABPTS clinical specialization with primary care. And um, then it was brought to light or, you know, someone sort of spun it a different way and was like, well, we don't want this motion to necessarily go through. And then a whole nother, you know, task force or committee or group of people start something that then won't fall into alignment with what is already happening with the primary care petition. Um, so pretty much then, you know, when I reflected on it, I was like, you know what, that actually makes a whole lot of sense. Like we don't want to create, first of all, we don't want to create unnecessary work, but we also don't want there to be two separate, you know, definitions or practice areas that are defined, um, in primary care PT. We want, we would like for it to all be consistent. So it only made sense to ask the Hawaii delegation to just table the motion for now, um, which might actually end up working out better because we are at the point where we are done with our supplemental surveys for the primary care PT clinical specialization, which is awesome. So we're kind of in this analysis phase um, and then hopefully tying up all the loose ends on the description of specialty practice and the competencies and all of that so that hopefully it can go forward to the House of Delegates in 2024. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. That was just a follow-up to the motion. I don't think that the, uh, the being the Hawaii delegation being asked to table it for now, I, I certainly don't think that it was the, the wrong move or the wrong idea. Um, I think that it just, there was conflicting interests or not, not even conflicting interests, but there was already a project underway that was addressing this. Um, and unfortunately it's, in my opinion, it's just been sort of almost kept under undercover. Like if you go to the ABPTS website right now, it doesn't say that there are any clinical specializations that are pending or, you know, in consideration. So really nobody knows about it unless you have heard other people talk about it. So um, hopefully we can get more, bring a more awareness to the idea of it and um, we will see it come to fruition hopefully next summer, fingers crossed. So hope you enjoyed this episode um, and also this little follow-up. Stay tuned for more podcast episodes and please hit that subscribe button. 
And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. If you love our show, go ahead and subscribe to stay tuned for future episodes. As a thank you to our listeners, we're happy to offer $50 off of our Primary Care PT Foundations course or our Musculoskeletal Imaging Certification. Visit us at redefinehealthed.com and use code PCPTPODCAST, all one word, all lowercase, on the checkout page to claim your discount. That's PCPTPODCAST, all one word, all lowercase. Until the next episode, stay awesome, y'all.